everybody. Why don't you open them up to the book of Acts? And yep, children are dismissed to children's church. Thanks for the reminder, kiddos. The book of Acts, um, we're going to be continuing in our study of this tonight. We're looking at uh, chapter 2, verses 22 through 41, 22 through 41, and we'll read that here in just a few moments. So, you know, one of the things we talk about often um, here is our, our responsibility and, and the need to, to tell people about Jesus. You know, we, we need to share the gospel, and I think just because I know people in here, um, I think that, that, that most of us would agree that this is an important aspect of our Christian lives. You know, if we want to be obedient to the commands of Jesus, sharing his gospel message is something that we should be prepared to do, should be prepared to do, and should be willing to do, but who knows, it's not always easy to do. It's, it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, it, it comes with its challenges. It, it's it's hard, especially when we try to share it with somebody that we don't have a relationship with. Have you ever tried to share Jesus with somebody that just had no idea who they were, just a complete stranger? It's just a totally different dynamic. Or even trying to share with somebody that is hostile to the gospel. Um, somebody try to tell them about Jesus and they get frustrated or angry or just don't want anything to do with it. And I think um, we'd probably agree it's in those times where it really stretches our faith to step out of obedience in obedience and do what we're supposed to in those times. And yet, as we think about the reality of what we talked about last week, as we uh, were, you know, we, we looked at a few verses last week really regarding some kind of very apocalyptic things, you know, kind of very end times nature type things. As we think about that, boy, shouldn't our willingness to tell people about Jesus increase? Like, if we really internalize that, man, there's a day that Jesus is coming again, and we don't know when that day is. It could be very, very soon, and I just wonder, I wonder how much our attitude would change about sharing our faith if we knew Jesus was coming back for sure, like, say, next week. You ever wonder that? I mean, how, how much would life change? How much would our priorities change? How much would our boldness change if we knew that? You know, last week we started looking at the Apostle Peter's response to um, Pentecost. Um, at Pentecost, we looked at a couple weeks ago, was when um, they were praying together, the apostles and those hundred some people that were with them, and the Holy Spirit fell, and, and they began speaking in other tongues or other languages, and all these, literally thousands of people that were in Jerusalem heard that and were gathered there to them, and um, in verses 12 and 13, as we saw last week, there were a couple different responses to it. There were some in that crowd that were genuinely interested in what, what is this? These people are speaking our language, the wonders of God, and, and what is this that they're doing? And, and some blew it off as just a bunch of gibberish or a bunch of drunks. Um, and, and yet to that, Peter in verse 14 last week, he stood up and began to explain to the crowd what had just taken place. And what he, what he began to tell them is what they had seen was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Now, as we talked about last week, it's interesting that what Joel spoke of in his prophecy in Joel chapter 2, it, what happened at Pentecost wasn't fulfilled there by any means, but it's as, if, it's as if a time clock almost started. Like Peter was saying, because this took place, you know that everything from Joel chapter 2 and verse 28 on is going to happen someday. And, and those, as we saw last week, are, are from Joel chapter 2 and verse 28 on to the end of the book of Joel in chapter 3 is very, very end times, book of Revelation oriented. And so Peter says that um, during that time, as we get close and approach this moment, he, he told us last week as we saw that there's a couple different things that are going to be going on. 
One is that God's going to pour out His Spirit in a special way. Um, again, to where um, it, it would seem, anyways, that there's going to be a day where um, that this idea of people prophesying, speaking God's Word in a powerful way, you know, whether it's Him just giving extra boldness to, to proclaim here, or whether He gives some, I don't want to say new revelation, that's dangerous, but just this idea of He's just giving them boldness to speak. But then he also talked about these visions and these supernatural dreams that were going to take place. As we talked about last week, um, we can only speculate what those are for, but if, they're, if, they, if they have anything to do with prophecy of old, in the Old Testament, it's either judgment or encouragement. All the prophecies were either encouragement to the saints or judgment to those who were um, enemies of God. And, and so, as, as we saw last week, there, there's going to be a day that these signs that, that, that he spoke of here in verses 19 and 20 where the sun's going dark and the moon's turning to blood, and, and right after these events, it says the day of the Lord's wrath is going to come. And then in verse 21, he says the only way to be saved from that, the only way to be saved from the wrath of God being poured out upon you is to call upon the name of Jesus. So if calling upon the name of Jesus is the only thing that is going to allow people to escape God's wrath, how important is it that we as the church tell people about who that Lord is? How important is it that we tell people who that Jesus that we're supposed to call on, who, who he is and, and what he has done for us? And as we're going to see here today, as Peter did the, the exact same thing, it's something that's extremely important for us to do. So let's go ahead and read our verses for today, and then we will get into it. So starting in verse 22, it says this, People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him, but God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. And King David said this about him, I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praise. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow the Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life, and you will fill me with your joy, with the joy of your presence. Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us, but he was a prophet. And he knew that God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the highest place. Excuse me, he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he has promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until, you're, until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. And so, let, and so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. 
And in verse 37, it says, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and the other disciples, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and your children and to those who are far away, all who have been called by the name of our Lord God, of the Lord our God. And then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all of his listeners, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And then those who believed... What Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much again for this day, for this time in your word, and just for this time we have together as your people. God, it's so good to just be able to, to take this time to, to get together, to fellowship, to worship, to learn. And God, I pray we would learn tonight. God, that we, we all live busy lives. We all have things that have happened this week, and all have things going on later this week, next week, or even tonight. But, but God, will you give us the grace to be able to focus in? Lord, I pray you would just reign in our hearts, reign in this place, reign in our minds, Lord. Just, just teach us what you have for us tonight, and I pray that, that our lives would be changed, our lives would be transformed, and we, leave, we would leave this place looking more like Jesus than when we walked in, Lord. We love you, we thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we get into um, our, our verses for today, the first thing I want you to notice here in, in verse 22 really is, is Peter's compassion for these people. Now, mind you, one thing we have to remember is that these people were some of the very ones that were yelling to have Jesus murdered just a few weeks before this. And if you knew that the relationship between Jesus and Peter was very, very close. I mean, it was very close with Jesus and all of his apostles and their disciples, but, but especially with Peter. He was one of those three, Peter, James, and John, that were just extra close to Jesus. Jesus was Peter's world, and, and yet these people were the ones crying out to crucify him. And one would think that he'd be, you know, he'd, he'd hold some animosity toward these people, but it was anything but that. In fact, he had great, great compassion on them, as we're going to see here in just a moment. Now, some of the things that he says here, and really is probably one of the greatest sermons in the Bible, as we see, is this, this is an incredible sermon from Peter that he, that he gave to the people here. But, but some of these things that he says in here really are like very in-your-face to these people, but it was necessary. And we shouldn't think that he was trying to be some judgmental jerk here to these people or just trying to, trying to, trying to Bible beat them, if you will, like kind of a term we use sometimes. But, it, but he, was, he loved these people so much, he wanted them to see the error of their way, and he wanted them to wake up and realize how big a trouble that they were in. So in verse 22 there, he says, people of Israel, you need to listen. You know, Peter was like, you, you people need to wake up and hear me. If you don't wake up and hear me. If you don't recognize this Jesus for who he is, you're going to face the wrath of God that this is speaking of someday. There's going to be a day that you face the wrath of God if you don't turn in faith to Jesus Christ. You know, I think this, this urgency that we see from Peter here really is something that we should all learn from. Because I really think this is the urgency that God wants all of us to have. Like I said here a little bit ago, if we knew that Jesus was coming back like next week, I think it would change us. The things that we look at that are so important, at least we think are so important in the here and now, how much of that would change if we knew we had five days until Jesus returned? And we started to think about, man, this person in my life doesn't know Jesus, and this person in my life doesn't know Jesus, and this person in my life doesn't know Jesus. How much would our attitude change towards them? And yet, you know, the reality is, is although we don't know when the day of the Lord's coming, here's what else we don't know. We, we have no idea, those people in our lives that don't know Jesus, we have no idea how many more days they have left. They may not have, they may not have tomorrow. 
And so we, we should live our lives with the same type of urgency, the same type of compassion for people as we see here with, with Peter. But he goes on here in verse 22, and he says this. He says, people of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene, or Jesus of Nazareth, by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him as you well no. Now remember, Peter just said a few verses before this that, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, and now here he's telling them whose name that actually is. Because in their minds, their Savior was Jehovah, it was Yahweh, right? The, 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 the God we see in the Old Testament, although Jesus was obviously there as the Son of God, right? But they didn't picture Jesus as being God, and yet a very, very phrase, a big phrase that we see in the Old Testament about the name of the Lord, the name of the, I mean, this is something he's saying, that name of the Lord's Jesus. This, this Jesus of Nazareth, that Jesus from that, from that town up there in the boondocks of northern Israel, that guy, he's the name of the Lord you need to call on to be saved. Now, this was something that the people should have recognized. Jesus did incredible miracles. And you think about the miracles Jesus did. He displayed power over nature, displayed power over sickness and disease. He, he displayed the power even to forgive sin, even to raise people from the dead. It was just a few weeks before this when Lazarus was called out of the tomb four days, and, and there were, many of these people were probably in the city when this happened. And we know that happened in Bethany, but still, I mean, the word spread everywhere, you know. So they should have recognized this and even see this, as you well know, and yet they completely missed it. The point was that only the power of God himself could accomplish those things. What ordinary man could do the things that Jesus did? What, what ordinary man could, could say to the winds and waves, be still? What ordinary man could just take a man by the hand and, and lift a man that's been lame his entire life and... And, and raise them up, and, he, and he's walking as if he had them, he, that is, as if he was never laying. I mean, it was, it was crazy. Rub some mud on somebody's eyes, next thing you know, they can see. Just say, Lazarus, wake up. <laughs> and he walks out a lot. I mean, you're, you're talking about incredible things. No ordinary person could do that. Now, why did Jesus do those things? Certainly because he had compassion on the people. Certainly because he loved them. But, but I tend to believe that a big reason that Jesus did those things was to prove to the people that he was who he said he was. He had literally the power of God himself. These people witnessed many of these things, and yet they were completely blinded to that reality. But as we see in verse 23, this is just an incredible statement here in verse 23. But God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. That's quite a statement, isn't it? When we think about the events of the crucifixion and all that Jesus endured, it says these things were prearranged, preordained by God. As in, this was no accident. God was not caught off guard when Jesus was taken, arrested, and nailed to a cross. God planned for it all in advance. Like, did that really happen? Did God really prearrange for his son to suffer a gruesome death and die? Yeah. That's the whole reason he came. Matthew, from his, before he was even born, in Matthew one twenty one, the angel told Joseph, Mary will have a son, 
And you are to name, his name, tell, name him Jesus. Why? Because he's going to save his people from their sins. Before Jesus the man ever breathed his first breath, God says, this child is destined to save the world of their sin. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8 tells us that Jesus was the lamb slaughtered before the foundations of the world. This was God's plan before Genesis 1-1. But before there was a beginning, <laughs> this was plain in advance that Jesus would one day die. It's crazy to think about, isn't it? And that's what the Bible tells us. The, the prophets tell us the same thing. A famous prophecy from Isaiah, written 700 years something before this. And, and fitness, I'm going to read verses 7 through 11. It says Jesus was, I'm going to say Jesus because that's who he's talking about. He was oppressed and, and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong. He had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. I mean, there, there's no question at all that's speaking of Jesus. Like, there's no biblical scholar that would say that's not speaking. Of course that's speaking of Jesus, but look what it says here in verse 10. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. It was God's plan all along for those things to happen, written centuries before Jesus ever came. And yet, when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. And guess what? If you know Christ, that's you and me. What, what, what Peter's saying here is absolutely true. God did plan this in advance, and yet, just because God planned it in advance, there is still no doubt that the people who put him on the cross were absolutely held responsible for their actions. And here comes one of the paradoxical thoughts of the Bible, the idea that God is absolutely sovereign and planned this before the foundations of the world, and yet there was a moment in time when these people rejected him and nailed him to a cross, and those people were absolutely responsible for their actions. Without any question, that's what he says here, with the help of lawless Gentiles, speaking of the Romans, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. The idea is that the Romans may be the ones who nailed Jesus to the cross, but it was the Jews' idea that made it happen, so they were both held responsible. And Peter tells these people here that although God in his foreknowledge knew what was going to transpire, the idea was that God didn't force their hands to do it. Like, although God is sovereign, he didn't make the people of Israel blow off those miracles as nothing special. Like, he didn't make them walk away from his teachings. He didn't make the Pharisees and priests accuse him of blasphemy. He didn't make the crowds reject him and demand, demand him to be crucified. And yet that's exactly what they did. The, the Romans were dragged into it because the priests and the Pharisees were too cowardly to do the dirty work themselves. These people were responsible for killing the Son of God. Now, Something that, that people need to face is this reality. There is a reality that God is sovereign, and absolutely sovereign, and, and there's, but there's also going to be this reality that, that, that people are going to face God in judgment today and, and give an account for every choice they made, whether good or bad. But the Bible says, like, in that day, people aren't going to be able to say, well, the devil made me do it. Nope. That excuse, not, that, that, that excuse isn't going to fly. They're not going to be, tell, be able to tell God, well, what I did was out of my control. You made me this way. 
They're not going to be able to say, God, you put me in this family. God, you made me this way. God, you allowed me to grow up in this section of town. God, you allowed me to go through such and such. Not going to fly. On that day, people will give an account for every choice they made. Their choice. We can't excuse sin. We will be held accountable for all of it. Now, I'm sure this was a bit of a gut punch for these people, and I'm sure that, 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 that when the reality began to sink in of what just took place, it was one of them moments like, boy, what are you saying is true? What are the connotations of this, right? But look at verse 24. But God released him, speaking of Jesus, from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. Peter was like, look, yeah, you all murdered Jesus. That's a big deal, but, uh, but guess what, folks? He's alive. Death couldn't hold him. Now, have you ever thought about why not? Like, my, my mind is like to ask questions when I read the Bible, and I, and I think, like, why did Jesus have to be raised to life? Now, part of it is because he's God and he can't die. Right? He may have been man, but he was still God. And even if you killed him in his flesh, you couldn't have killed Jesus because Jesus is the author of life. John 1 describes him as the spoken word. As the spoken word, literally, that in Genesis 1, and God said, that was Jesus. According to John 1, according to Colossians 1, that was Jesus. The one that spoke life into existence. You know, Jesus, John 14, 6, says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Or in 1 John 5 and verse 20, we know that the Son of God has come and He has given us understanding so that we can know the true God and, and, and now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ. And it says this, He is the only true God and He is eternal life. It, it doesn't say, yeah, when we get to eternal life through Him, although that's true, it says, no, He is eternal life. He, he's the very definition of life itself. How could death hold Him in its grip? You couldn't kill him. He was God. Still is. But then, like, my mind says, well, of course you couldn't kill him because he was God, but what about the man side? So why couldn't Jesus have, like, died and, and did the work and then just went to heaven? I mean, I suppose he could have, except he didn't because he said he wouldn't. Because he said that he was coming back. Now, for instance, in Mark chapter 9 and verse 31, Jesus told his disciples, the Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of men, they will kill him, but after three days he will rise again. Why did Jesus come back for them to see? Because he said he would. He was just following through on his word. It was also spoken of the prophets, again in Isaiah 53 and verse 10, it went on and said he will enjoy long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. Well, how could... How could somebody who just died enjoy a long life? Because he rose again. The Bible said so centuries before it ever happened. Now, as we get into the rest of our, back to our text here, verses 25 through 28. Now, this is speaking of a psalm that, that David um, spoke in Psalm chapter 16, verses 8 through 11. It says this, that, that King David said this about him. About who? It's speaking of Jesus. 
I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be forsaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praise. And that's what he says. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. Again, this was written a thousand years before Jesus. David prophesied this. And we, we know this because as he, as he goes on here in verse 29, dear brothers, think about this, he says. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died, he was buried, the tomb's still here among us. He's like, you all know this very well, you know where King David's buried, his bones are dry and over there in that tomb. He couldn't have been speaking about himself, he was speaking about Jesus. Verse 30, but, but he, David, was a prophet. And he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. And David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. And so he's like, folks, the same Jesus who was crucified a few weeks ago is the descendant of David that's going to sit on David's throne and reign as king of kings someday. That's the guy that was just hung on the cross. How's he going to do that? Because he's alive. He's not dead. He's alive. And in fact, in verse 32, it says that God raised Jesus from the dead. He says, and we are all witnesses of this. They had, I mean, think about the power of firsthand testimony of, these, of the disciples. They saw him. They touched him. They felt him for for. for what, four weeks, four and a half weeks, 40 days, whatever it was? I mean, granted, he wasn't there the entire time. He was in and out. But, but still, I mean, they saw him. They touched him. They felt him. And they were just like, he's real, folks. We're witnesses of it. Like, I mean, yeah, I mean, they could say anything, but how do we know it's true? We know it's true because they went to their grave. They went to their grave standing on this truth. I mean, mind you, they were speaking right now. Peter was speaking in front of thousands of people. Again, most likely, those were the ones that were yelling, crucified Jesus a few weeks prior to this. And yet he boldly stood out there and said, this is Jesus. He's the Messiah. You know, as we think about that, the story of Jesus isn't just some fairy tale made up by a bunch of first century extremists. The story of Jesus was told by people who were willing to suffer massive persecution and even death because they knew it was absolutely true. And if we believe that Jesus lived, died, and rose again, we can certainly believe he's coming back again. Amen? Now, as we get to verse 33, he says, now he is exalted. Where's Jesus right now? He's exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. Now, why was this a big deal? Have you ever watched, like, king and queen movies? Like, you have the king that sits, like, here, and then a lot of times when the queen, where does she sit? To the right or to the left? Always to the left, right? It's, it's always here. Like, to be at the king's right hand, like this imagery of, of Jesus being at God's right hand, it's, 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 it's a picture here of his, just not only of great honor, but this position of great authority. That, that Jesus has the right to exercise the very authority of God himself. It's kind of the picture that Peter is giving here. Now, now, why would Peter say this? Because Jesus had just said this a few days ago, before this, like, what, seven, ten days before this? Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says, All authority in both heaven and earth has been given to me. 
Therefore go, right? I mean, Jesus told him. He, he, he is the one now that has all the authority of God in heaven and on earth. But what's the proof? Peter said here that the proof of this was the, was the fact that the Holy Spirit was given. And now he's kind of getting back to this Pentecost, what had just happened that day, just a few minutes before this. If you look at verse 33, the second part of it. He says, and the Father, as he had promised, gave him, Jesus, right, the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see here today. So the Father gave Jesus the authority to give the Holy Spirit to the people, and what they're witnessing today, the speaking of tongues, the the hearing the wonders of God in their own language, you can know Jesus is alive because this happened. Like, how is that a proof text? Well, listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 26. But the help of the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring your remembrance of all that I have said. Okay, so he's going to send him in my name. Does that mean that Jesus was going to send him? Well, let's jump to John 15 and verse 26. But when the helper comes, again speaking of the Holy Spirit, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the, from the, from, from the Father, he will bear witness to me. Jesus is the one that sent the Holy Spirit. How amazing is that? Now, consider for a minute the boldness of Peter's statement here. Peter had just stated that what happened at Pentecost was spoken of from the prophet Joel, but if you look back there at verse 17, it says, In the last days, God says... Notice that, that, underline that, God says, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. Who did he just give credit to it for? for? Credit for it to? Jesus. Do you realize the claim that Peter was making here? He wasn't just Messiah. He was saying Jesus is God. It's not only that he has the authority of God, he is the Son of God. Now, if you jump down to verses 34 and 35, this is actually a, a psalm that was spoken in Psalm 110 in verse 1. It says, For David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit at the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Now, if you would go back to Psalm and read this in the Hebrew, it says literally, Jehovah said to my Adon, which is short for Adonai, which is another name for God, which literally is saying, God said to my God. The Lord said to my Lord, God said to my God. I mean, it just kind of blows your mind even trying to think about that. And yet, what he was saying is unmistakable. He was saying Jesus is God in the flesh who is coming back again someday to put his enemies underneath his footstool. Literally, he's going to put his enemies and take care of them in that day. And so verse 36, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both, not just Messiah, Lord and Messiah. God and Messiah. Imagine being in their shoes for just a moment when this set in. Like when reality hit. And, and the Spirit of God came upon these people and gave them understanding. Because we, we know they did because many of them got saved. About 3,000. Can you imagine that moment when they go, <laughs> our long way to Messiah, he was here among us. Emmanuel. And we murdered him. 
Can you imagine that moment? What had to have been going through their minds? And, and, and then the fear that sets in and goes, the day of the Lord's wrath is coming. That Jesus that David spoke of is coming back to destroy his enemies one day, and we put him on the cross. Oh. Can you imagine that moment? <laughs> Let's look at the next verse. Peter's words pierced their heart, to say, to say it bluntly. It pierced their heart like a knife going through their heart, right? And they said to the, him and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? The idea, is there any hope for us at all? Have we gone too far in sin? Are we doomed to an eternity of separation? Or are we doomed to, to suffer God's wrath? And look at Peter's answer. He replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and then you'll receive the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that they just received. The promise is to you, your children, and those far away, all who have been called by the Lord God. It says then Peter continued preaching for a long time. The idea was, was I'm sure they had questions, and he just kept explaining and explaining. I kind of, I kind of picture it like Jesus on the road to Emmaus, like those, 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 uh, those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, I believe it was, where he came and he just talked to them about all these Old Testament things. I just kind of picture Peter just, look, you think these Old Testament passages are cool? Let me tell you about this one and this one and this one and this one and this one. It all speaks to Jesus, right? And he's just, at the end, he says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. The idea was, Peter looked at him and says, no, you haven't gone too far. There is still forgiveness available to you, but you got to come to Jesus. Call upon the name of Jesus and be saved. Be washed from your sins. But you've got to surrender to Him. Now think about this. You know what this tells me? If, if the people who had Jesus murdered were not too far gone to be forgiven, none of us are. You know how many people that I've spoken to, I've just done too much, God wouldn't want me. I can't come to church. Church will start on fire as soon as I walk through the door. <laughs> if the people who murdered Jesus literally, physically, Peter says, look, there's still forgiveness for you. God's grace is that big. Can I tell you something? God's grace is big enough for any of us. If we'll just accept it. I don't know about you, but I know my life. I praise God for his mercy. I'm one God that doesn't deserve it. I can tell you that. It's only by His grace. But, as awesome as God's grace is, Peter wasn't preaching like this easy gospel. Like he wasn't preaching some greasy grace gospel, some what they've has been termed easy believism. The idea that, you know, Peter didn't say, it's okay, God understands. It's okay, God loves you just the way you are, you have nothing to worry about. That's not what he said, is it? No, he said repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus and save yourself from this crooked generation. I mean, I mean, think about what he was telling them. He's like, if you people don't want to face the wrath of God someday, Jesus is your only answer. The same Jesus who you just blew off as a fraud and a heretic is your Messiah. This Jesus who you just rejected and murdered is your only hope. Forgiveness is available, but to receive it, you have to reject your former way of life, your former thoughts, your former ideas, and today identify with Jesus as his. 
That's the call. Now, I mean, again, from a 2023 mindset, well, yeah, call upon the name of Jesus, get dunked into baptism, but what's the big deal? Oh, back then it was a huge deal. Because baptism was the identifier of a Christian back then. To be baptized was to literally say that, that I'm walking away from my former life and I'm following the way. That's what it was called. Before Christianity, it was called the way. I'm following Jesus. I'm identifying with this man who claimed to be the Son of God and Messiah. I belong to him. That was a huge statement. Now, it's interesting, in recent archaeological digs, they have, they've actually found right there at the temple area, they have found like all these huge like water basins that were used for like ritual washing and stuff like that. And again, many commentators believe that this all took place in that area because there were so many thousands of people. Like it wouldn't have been in somebody's upper room. I mean, it was probably in that temple area. The idea was that there, there was enough space there to baptize just tons and tons of people in a very, very short amount of time. And if this was true, just think about the statement that was making. It was Peter saying, look, you want, to be calling on, you want to belong to Jesus? You want to escape the wrath of God? You want to be forgiven? Let's go over to the water. Identify with Jesus in front of these Pharisees, in front of these priests that just nailed Jesus to the cross, and in front of all these people who just cried crucify him. Let's walk down to the water and identify with Jesus. You want to be saved? Let's do it. That's a whole lot different than... If anybody wants Jesus, everybody bow your head. Nobody looking around. We don't want anybody seeing anybody. Quietly raise up your hand. Say these words. Again, I'm not saying nobody can be saved like that, but you see the point? It's, it's just way too easy today. We're not, we're not giving up. What are we giving up for Jesus? Back then it cost them, many of them, their lives. Peter told them to step forward and make a statement. And if people want to come to Jesus to save your friends, this is the call. They have to repent of their sins and be willing to identify as one who belongs to Jesus, no matter their cost. This week, I don't remember it was Thursday morning or when it was, but I was, anybody addicted to like YouTube shorts or TikTok? It's, 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 like, a, it's like a time warp, and this time goes... Anyways, but uh, my kids will tell you I like YouTube shorts. But any, anyhow, I listened to this little mini, mini message, like a minute long, and I, it made me crazy. It was this pastor preaching to what looked like a very large church, and he was given this story of this young man that, that wanted to be saved. But he came up to the pastor, and he says, Pastor, he says, if I come to Jesus, do I have to get rid of my drugs? Pastor says, no. He's like, really? Like, he's like, he, like, like this. He pulled out his drugs in his hand. He says, you're telling me I don't have to get rid of this to be saved? No. And then he went on to say, you, know, you, don't, you don't clean yourself up before you take a shower, so why would you clean yourself up before you come to Jesus? Now, half-truths are extremely dangerous, at least they can be. Now, is that true to an extent? Like, when we come to Jesus, we need to come to him with all of our baggage, with all of our junk, with all of our dirty little closet secrets that no one else knows. That, that part's true. Like, when we come to Jesus, we bring everything and we lay it before him. This is what I need forgiveness for. 
But can I tell you something that we don't do? We don't put all our sins in our knapsack and go follow Jesus still in the knapsack, still in our backpack. That, that, that's not the way it works. Now, is there truth to the fact that Jesus will clean us up after we come to him? Yes. But you know what that gospel that the pastor shared was? That was a gospel with no repentance. He was saying, no, you don't need to repent of those things. No, in God's time, he'll take care of that sin. Do you see the subtleness of the lie? Now, there's a reality that when we come to faith in Christ, that we're, we're not perfect, right? We're, we're going to make mistakes. But can I tell you something? There's something very, very different from picture two people. One comes, I know my sin. I recognize my sin. And I'm broken over my sin. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I, I need to follow you. For, help me to walk past these things. Help me to live for you. I'm following you. I'm identifying as yours. I belong to you, Jesus. I need your help. But as we go along, sometimes we go back and we pick one of them sins up and go, oh, I did it again. But that's far different than somebody with all that baggage saying, they strapped to their back and let's go with my sin, Jesus. Do you see the difference? But that's the modern gospel. The modern gospel is salvation apart from Repentance. And true salvation only comes when we say, I'm a sinner and I can't keep living this way. Am I going to struggle with it, maybe? Sure. Am I going to still have issues? Sure. But shall I sin willingly that God's grace may abound? No. As the Apostle Paul said, that is absolutely insanity. That's preposterous to do that. No, friends, the call of the gospel is to repent of our sins, to walk away from it. As, the, as Pastor David Yuzik, a commentator that I read, says, he says, repentance describes what coming to God is. You can't turn towards God without turning from the things that he is against. It don't work that way. Now, as we close, what were the results of Peter's preaching? Verse 41 says that those who believe Peter that they were baptized and added to the church, about 3,000 in all. Can you imagine what that would have been like? Like, have you ever led one person to Jesus? Like, the exhilarating feeling that's there? Can you imagine, like, seeing thousands of people all at once? That, just, that was just the start of it. See, pretty soon, the people being saved every day, you know? I mean, it's crazy what God was doing there, and yet that's the power of the gospel. When we share the true gospel and the true message of repentance, friends, that's the power of the gospel and it still has power today. So what do we do with all this? One, if you don't know Jesus to save you, repent of your sins and give, him, give, give your life to him today. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. Do it today. Come talk to me. Come talk to somebody and say, I need Jesus. We would love to lead you there. If you are a Christian, as the Bible tells us, Bear spiritual fruit in keeping with repentance, meaning don't play around with sin. Don't do things that are, we clearly know are wrong and excuse them. Don't believe the lie that, 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 that says that God knows I'm not perfect so he understands. No, he doesn't. <laughs> no, he doesn't. 
You know, it's true that, that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, and so He understands our temptation. But remember, it says He was tempted in every way that we are, and yet He did not sin. God doesn't understand our sins. He understands our temptations. There's no excuse for our sins. We should never justify them, but rather confess those things over and over again and choose every day to walk in faithfulness to the Lord. Let's be faithfulness in sharing the message of Christ, and let's be praying for people. Let's invest in their lives, and let's pray that God opens the door that we can tell them the truth. Because, friends, what we talked about last week is going to happen someday. Jesus is coming. The wrath of God is coming someday, and we are the only thing stopping them from an eternity in hell separated from God. Let's share the message of Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day, for this time, for your word. Lord, this, this message from Peter, although amazing to one God, it just, man, it struck me to the heart this week. Lord, it's, it's so easy to, even as a Christian, fall into what culture says is right, to excuse sin, to to excuse lifestyles as, as this is just who we are. But God, that's not the call of the gospel. The call of the gospel is to forsake all those things, to take up our cross daily and to follow you. God, your word says that a man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back isn't worthy of your kingdom, Father. Lord, we're, none of us are, but the fact of it is, God, that, that, that if, if, if we're excusing sin in our lives, Father, we are... We are in such a bad place, God, let it not be. So God, for us as Christians who are here tonight, Lord, if we've been playing around with sin, Lord, I pray you would give us the grace to be able to get it out of our lives. That those that are dealing with that would just confess it and trust you for um, just to help them to, to, to get past it, Lord. God, if there's anybody here that has never made the decision to follow Christ, let them make that decision tonight and make a bold statement. Let them tell somebody. Jesus, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for our salvation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we close tonight, um, we're going to.